0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 38. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And to help celebrate the 30th anniversary of the MGM Studios, because it's always going to be the MGM Studios. Yes. In our own little way. We started thinking about some of the things that were important to us at the studios when we were kids. And the first thing that comes to mind without question, I think, is the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playground. So naturally, we had to discuss this iconic film, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids.
1: I think that's one of the things that I miss most about all those renovations that they've done to that park.
0: Yeah, that one was kind of a bitter pill to swallow i'm not gonna say that it was um an inappropriate change i think it very much was um i think the time for that particular part of the park had come and gone i don't know that a lot of kids want to go to a playground per se but yeah, i do considering miss considering the it's not
1: a ride i kind of get it
0: yeah i miss the theming though
1: yeah and because this was such a big movie during our childhood it was nice to have it there and I I think considering how old the movie is too it hung on for quite a while
0: oh yeah it it hung in there probably way past the movie's prime when you think about like the modern movie audience yeah I don't want to give too much away in the review because we do have a lot to say about it but I think certainly um (sighs) I, I just don't know how many kids nowadays know the film Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I think that because people our age are starting to have kids, you see these cycles where they start to raise them on the films that they watched as a kid. Like I know when I was growing up, we would always watch like March of the Wooden Soldiers. You know what I'm saying? Movies like, that our parents like. Exactly right.
1: Or like I was raised on I Love Lucy because that's what my aunt loved it and she would always put it on and I enjoyed it as well.
0: Right. So I think you start to see these things kind of circle back around. And I think I think this movie's probably on that list, though I don't know for certain.
1: I mean, you could make the argument though, as far as having it in the parks, whether the kids know the movie or not, it's still cool. To put yourself on that shrunken level where everything else is gigantic.
0: Yeah, definitely. What was
1: your favorite part?
0: Um, the film canister. The Kodak film reel. The slide.
1: Yeah, that was cool.
0: But it hurt your butt. I remember that
1: yeah you like crash landed off of that, yeah, thing. a
0: little bit. it didn't it wasn't like a gradual slope, like it was sort of abrupt at the end, yeah, like you kind of like double hop,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: but um, man, I love it. I gotta see if I can find some pictures from back in the day. I know I have it on VHS tape. I just don't know if I have any photographs of it. we do I'm yes, you and I, but I'm talking about from when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, I have. I know I have pictures from the last time I went with my family. That was 2008. Uh, but it was around long enough. You and I have a picture on Auntie.
0: Yeah. The first time I ever went into that land was in 1994. Like I said, I know I have it on VHS tape. I just don't know if I have still photos of it. I'm going to have to look into that, though. Well, at any rate, um, we are here to talk about the film that the uh, section of the park was based off of, and uh, I think I'm going to let you take the lead on this one and give us the plot synopsis for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids.
1: Okay, so the film opens and we are immediately introduced to the Selinsky family. The father, Wayne, is a scientist who has invented a shrinking machine and is running tests in the attic on an apple. Downstairs in the kitchen, Amy is making breakfast while on the phone discussing an argument her parents had the night prior, resulting in her mother sleeping at their grandmother's house. Her brother Nick is worried but is distracting himself with a miniature of his dad's shrinking machine that he is able to successfully work. Next door, the Thompsons are woken up by Wayne's failed apple experiments. Hot-headed Big Russ Thompson runs outside to give Wayne what for and is intercepted by his son Ron, who has booby-trapped the backyard. Russ triggers the trap and is shot with a rubber arrow dipped in superglue. After removing the arrow, Russ rallies his family to start packing for their big fishing trip, which his oldest son, Russell, is less than enthusiastic about. Back at the Zielinski's, Wayne is late for a conference to go pitch his shrinking machine and instructs the kids to clean the house before their mother gets home in an attempt to smooth things over. Amy turns on some music and gets to work cleaning the kitchen and dancing, which catches the attention of Russell through the window. Nick recruits his friend Tommy to mow the lawn by Tom Sawyering him into using a remote-controlled lawnmower. Tommy's excited but has to come back later to complete the chore. Next door, Ron is playing baseball in the yard and accidentally hits a ball through the Zielinski's attic window, setting off Wayne's shrinking machine. It shrinks some of Wayne's attic furniture and eventually Nick and Ron when they go upstairs to retrieve Ron's baseball. Lastly, it shrinks Russ and Amy when they go to retrieve their younger brothers. Wayne comes home after his pitch was not well received for a grant at the conference and destroys his shrinking machine. As he cleans up the attic, he unknowingly sweeps the kids up into the garbage and takes the trash outside to the opposite end of the yard. The kids must now make their way back to the house so Wayne can set things right. Wayne does set things right with Diane as soon as she gets home, but that changes when she begins to wonder where the kids are. She asks the Thompsons if they have seen Nick and Amy, and May tells her that Ron and Russ are missing as well. The kids have begun to traverse the backyard, and realizing how far they have to go, try to summon Quark, the Selinsky's dog, to carry them back to the house. Quark is distracted by the Thompsons' cat and never makes it across the yard, leaving the kids victim to a swarm of bees. Nick gets plucked out of a flower along with pollen, and Russ jumps on the bee's back to rescue him. The bee flies them all over the yard right up to Wayne, who hits the bee with Ron's baseball bat, which was left in the yard, sending them crash landing back to the grass. Diane tells Wayne that she is going to the mall to look for the kids and that he should stay in case they come home. Wayne, still holding the baseball bat, realizes that Nick does not play baseball and begins to piece together what has happened. He searches the lawn on stilts to avoid stepping on his kids and crushing them. In doing so, he gets tangled in the hose, setting off a sprinkler, which causes a big problem for the kids who have since gotten separated. Amy and Ron head for higher ground when she spots Nick and Russ. As she calls out to them, she is pelted by a water droplet and plunges into the mud below. Russ rescues Amy from drowning and gives her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which he apparently learned in French class. The kids have now been gone for more than half the day and become hungry, when luckily they stumble upon one of Nick's oatmeal cookies that has been dropped in the middle of the yard. As they feast on the cream filling, they are chased off by a baby ant, who they eventually tame and have him carry them the rest of the way back to the house. Wayne has now fashioned a contraption which allows him to fly over the yard without setting foot on the grass at all. They are spotted by the Thompson's friends, the Foresters, who have arrived to caravan up to the lake. As the kids are still not home, Russ is forced to bail on his friends and, as Don reminds him, lose his deposit. Russ is furious that they have to cancel the trip and threatens to ground the boys, but is also increasingly worried and calls the cops to report them missing. Next door, Wayne tells Diane that his shrinking machine works and shows her his furniture. Her excitement is immediately tempered when she learns what else he has shrank, and they both take to the backyard. Realizing that even with Auntie's help, they won't be able to make it home before dark, the kids decide to set up camp for the night and make a shelter in one of Nick's dropped Legos. Diane also realizes the kids won't make it back that night, and the right thing to do is fill the Thompsons in on what has happened. The Selinskis show the Thompsons the shrinking machine, but they don't want to believe it. Out in the jungle yard, Amy learns of Russell's crush on her and feels bad that she never gave him the time of the day. They begin to kiss and are interrupted when a scorpion attacks their camp. They manage to escape when Auntie sacrifices himself, chasing the scorpion away. The next morning, the kids begin to make the final leg of the journey back to the house and are intercepted when Tommy shows up to finally mow the lawn. Wayne and Diane stop the lawnmower, but not before it has tossed the kids around with the mulch. Exhausted, the kids are finally able to call Quark and hitch a ride back inside the house with him. He lets them out at the breakfast table, and after a narrow miss with some Cheerios, Wayne sees the kids have made it back to the house. They call the Thompsons over, enlarge the kids, and everyone is able to finally put their differences aside. I get it. French class.
0: Yeah, that was. um, That didn't bother me nearly as much as it bothered you. I know that we have a lot to say about the script of this film. um, And I know that for some reason. They brought that joke up a couple of times. I didn't mind the fact that they wrapped the movie up on it, especially because the movie's fading out and it fades back in when Nick finally realizes the joke that Russell made. Um, I, I thought that it was sort of fitting for the character because Nick is that brainiac. Clearly he is Wayne Zelensky's kid. Um, and he's just not that in touch with the teenage mind. Um, so that didn't really bother me. I know that it didn't sit well with you,
1: though. I understand that he's far removed in age from the rest of them because, you know, Amy and Russ are in high school. I think Ron is probably like either late middle school, early high school. And I don't think Nick is even quite that old yet. But regardless, that's like the worst ending line of a film in history. It's just so bad. It's so unmotivated. And and it wasn't even like a recurring joke throughout the rest of the movie.
0: But I think if they did it too many times, they would have beaten it to death. wonton just... soup in the Ghostbusters remake.
1: Yeah, but uh, well. Which
0: Rick Moranis refused to appear in, by the
1: way. And rightfully so. Yes. No, I just, first of all, I don't, I don't think it's that funny, I guess. I don't think it's funny the first time. Like, I get it. I understand what the joke is. It's French kissing. But like, I, I don't understand how we get from A to B. And how one relates to the other. I really don't.
0: What, the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? And the French
1: class? I, no, I get it. I'm saying I understand the joke. I just don't really see why you would make that joke.
0: Because Russ is trying to be a smart aleck. He's a teenager. He's an angsty teenager.
1: I guess, but I I don't know. It, it, to end the movie on that note, I, I just think it was... A little ridiculous. Well, keep that in mind
0: for when I give my final synopsis of what I, how I feel about this movie.
1: All right, we're going to put a pin in that. We're going to put a pin guess. in that.
0: But something that kind of stands out to me from the very beginning of the movie is they have the line that mom stayed at grandma's last night because she had an argument with dad. And they cycle back around to it a couple of times throughout mm-hmm. the movie, yeah. but they seem fine. Like, they don't really have any other arguments. They don't bicker. Like, she seems like she's actually a fairly supportive wife of his projects, supportive of his lifestyle. I mean, I guess we're meant to assume that his infatuation with his work has caused a stress on their marriage. Okay, That's fine. We don't necessarily need to see it. But when you start the movie off on what is seemingly an important plot point, the
1: rest of the movie, it sort of falls flat. I 100% agree with you. First of all, the entire problem with that throwaway line of mom spent the night at grandma's is that Amy is on the phone with, first of all, we don't even know who. And she's like divulging all of these family issues you know like it almost sounds like she's talking to her grandmother but then when she says mom spent the night at grandma's you realize quickly that no that's not in fact who she's talking to and she's talking about getting asked to the dance so you can assume it's a friend but first of all i shouldn't even have to draw that much of a conclusion second of all exposition through phone calls is the weakest form of script writing ever All of this could have been accomplished in a conversation between Amy and Nick. That opening scene with the two of them at the breakfast table, you do get a clue into their relationship. They're very sarcastic with each other. Uh, You can see that the age difference really comes into play in their relationship and that they're not very close. But Nick is obviously worried about his mom not having come home that night. So you could have gotten everything that you needed to know just from Nick questioning when she was getting back. Or you could have, if you wanted to resort to the phone call thing, you could have had the mom call in to check in on them, which she does later.
0: Right. And it's not just an age difference between Nick and Amy. It's also a difference in social class. Um They, right. they mention she's... The popular girl in school. Mm -hmm. He's obviously, for lack of a better term, the nerd. He's not popular. Exactly. Um, And that's sort of formulaic of a lot of the films that you saw in the 1980s. You know, Breakfast Club is the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, immediately. Totally. You're Pretty in pink. I mean, you know, really, a lot of those Brat Pack films where, and, and they, they were coming out around the same time as this movie, where you had the social differences amongst all of the characters. You had the confused one in Russell. You had the Brainiac in Nick. You had the popular blonde in Amy. And you had the, you know, sort of the rebellious, angsty kid in Ron. You know, this was sort of the norm around the time that these movies came out. And I think that that was also something that really drew that stark contrast, not just between all of them, but specifically between Nick and Amy.
1: Yeah. I agree with you. And you're right. It was of its time in that there were all these archetypes of characters, specifically with teen movies.
0: Yes, without a, without question.
1: Because even though this was more family-oriented, yeah, for argument's sake, you could kind of call it a teen movie because it does center around the kids more than anything else.
0: And it puts them in, obviously, very unique scenarios. I feel like this movie does toe the line you you could watch it as a kid and appreciate it, but I don't think that it comes off as a kid's movie because some of the things that they do, some of the subject matter, is a little heavy and a little above the head of a child. But that's not to say a five-year-old can't enjoy this movie because I enjoyed this movie as a five-year-old. But I think that it sort of had a very broad range of people who it appealed to.
1: I agree. I think... You know, as a kid, you're watching it and you see the humor in it that they're shrunk and having to walk through this jungle of a backyard and the sets were really cool. But there there are a couple more layers to it with all of the the family dynamics. It's not just, you know, between Wayne and Diane's marriage, like we mentioned, it's the kids relationships to their parents and trying to figure out like big Russell and little Russell and their relationship, too, because at this point, you know. We'll circle back to Big Russ Thompson because he's, you know, an enigma in and of himself. But, um, you know, Little Russ definitely struggles to relate to him.
0: And I think that that's part of the brilliance of this movie is that as you age, the movie changes. I think from a very young age, you watch this movie and it's just an adventure film. That's really all it's ever going to be to you when you're five or six years old. When you're 12, 13 years old, you start to, you know, you start to develop, your mind starts to change. And then by the time you're watching this as a teenager, I think you not only look at it through the eyes of the older kids, I also think you start to look at it in a nostalgic way. And then as an adult, it's all of that, but you recognize the other drama in this film other than the fact that they were shrunk by their father's machine.
1: As an adult, you also recognize more flaws with this film because, like I said, the phone call, very weak exposition. The last line of the movie, I have some major issues with. But there are also a lot of plot points that go nowhere. For example, there are seven characters in this movie that are mentioned by name that we never see on screen. And the director of this film was a first-time director. I don't believe he wrote it as well. But, like, you cannot write a film script and shout out your friends. Like, I don't know where these names came from. I don't know why they're in here. But we don't need them.
0: By the all. way, I do need to point out, the director of this film did not write it, Joe Johnston. Yes, who Joe Johnston. also went on to make Captain America the First Avenger. So just <gasps> to show... Where he started, to where he went, he made Captain America, the first Avenger. He made Jumanji.
1: Oh, I didn't realize Jumanji was in his arsenal. Yeah, but you
0: see where Jumanji and this film sort of parallel each other in, you know, in a very, um, it's that adventure almost over your head. It could never really happen, but what if it actually did? Yeah. Jumanji, another film of its time. Yeah. And the remake showed that. Not that the remake was bad, but I don't, you couldn't have remade Jumanji. I think that movie existed in the mid-90s, and that's where it existed. But yeah, this was one of Joe Johnson's first first trips to the park.
1: You know what? Bravo to him, because he's clearly had some growth in his career. Because my other issue with this movie is that the the dialogue is just... I mean, it's clearly the mark of an amateur, because so many of these lines are eaten by the actors. And you clearly needed... I don't know, second and third takes with a lot of them because a lot of them are just really hard to understand what they're saying. Part of that is because I think there's some overacting on some of the kids' parts. Some of it, as I said, we are going to circle back to Big Russ Thompson and his delivery, but there's a lot of lines that just get lost and muffled, and the ADR is absolutely terrible.
0: Yeah, I mean, none of these kids really turned into anything as they got older i think one of them did a few films i want to say big russ thompson is still acting but the rest of them really their credits ended after like 1990 you know they, they didn't do much before this movie they didn't do much after this movie i mean they were paid professionals but in a sense, they were kind of amateur. And there are, I will I will agree with you there, there are parts of this movie where that stands out. You know, for example, Big Russ Thompson, he screams all of the time, and when he does, it's like ear piercing. So I, I agree with you that there is certainly some overacting.
1: Yeah, like he'll go from zero to 60 for no reason. Exactly.
0: And I don't think that that's how the character was written. I think in that aspect, that's how he was... Portrayed by the actor, and I think that's how he was directed to be. Um, So I definitely, uh, I, I would concur with you on that. But, you know, things like we mentioned before with the mom, I couldn't figure out. Mom left for a night. How badly could two kids have trashed that house overnight where Wayne was basically like, Amy, good luck, and he just left. But the house is destroyed. Yeah, How badly could they have destroyed a house in one night?
1: Yeah, I don't know if you it's caught It's not like this. they had a party. She's making Nick breakfast in the morning. She burns the toast. But when Diane comes home, there's like a cutting board with like carrots and tomatoes on it in the background. Like what else were you cooking? Were you making a salad at 7.30 in the morning?
0: There were a lot of things in this movie where they just placed things where it didn't really make sense. I know this is going to sound stupid, but it bothered me when Wayne came home from the conference and like he had to pick up the dry cleaning and Nick's allergy medication. And like he went to the grocery store and he had like the paper grocery bags. And what's the thing that's on top of everything in the bag? The heaviest item, a frozen turkey. Like a turkey would not be on the top of a bag. It would be underneath everything. But you could just tell they were like, oh, make this bag seem overfilled like he can't handle all of it and just stuff a turkey in there.
1: Well, I think that's it, too. And back to what you were saying with the house. I think the idea is that Wayne is supposed to be overwhelmed because he's a workaholic and he gets very absorbed in whatever invention he's creating. And you see that in the house. I think the house is brilliant. I think I, love, I love how everything has been modified. Everything is an invention. Everything has like some sort of conveyor belt that like performs the task for you.
0: Does it remind you of Doc Brown's house?
1: Yeah, it does. But with all that, Wayne couldn't invent anything to help clean.
0: Yeah, he, he, he figured out how to do a remote controlled lawnmower. Right. You couldn't figure out something for the vacuum
1: cleaner. <laughs> sure. To circle back to what you said, too, as far as, you know, like how bad could their argument have been and how bad could the kids have trashed the house overnight? Um, I think what never really gets said, but all of this is alluding to, is that they have money issues because the focus is on Diane was very excited that she was able to sell the house, even though they never come out and say she's a realtor. She just sold a big estate and they're really riding on his pitch and getting a grant for the shrinking machine. So I think it's never really established that they are struggling, but that's also why they're neglecting the kids. And I think the messy house kind of lends to it because it's like that's the least of their problems.
0: Right. And he's trying to get this grant because in his mind, he's using this shrinking machine to shrink payloads for the space program. So he's trying to get a government contract with this.
1: The other... Yeah, we've been kind of nitpicking a lot, but that's one thing they really did get right because when he explains how he shrinks things, I thought that totally made sense. It's like he's shrinking the empty space and just kind of like taking out what you don't need.
0: Right, and the fact that like none of them in this pitch wanted to hear him and they all just sort of stormed out, like not one person had their interest peaked in this. Like again... You're working with the space program. You're working with government contracts. Like this is something where people should be chomping at the bit. I understand that he didn't have proof that this would actually work, so I he could didn't see, even have
1: the machine in the room. He didn't even
0: have the prototype, which was weird to me. Yeah, because he 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 left with like a box of props and didn't use any of them, which made no sense. But the fact that at not even one person, like in a real scenario, someone would have at least said to you. Sounds interesting, but come back when you have something for us. They all kind of laughed at him.
1: Well, there was the one guy who poo-poo's on it and kind of he I'm was going like, to "I'm lunch. going to lunch." Yes, exactly. But. I disagree with you. There was one person who took interest in Wayne and we don't know who he is or what his relationship to Wayne is, but he kind of takes him under his wing.
0: All we know is that according to him, you were right. The extension cord on the electric flea collar was a bad idea. I I mean, it just, (laughs) I I get it. It was supposed to be a throwaway line that was funny, but you're right. It's another character. We don't know. Is this a mentor? Is this a
1: Co-worker, he's some sort of like paternal figure to Wayne, right? But just and I don't, I don't know that he has a name. We've got seven names that don't have bodies in a body. It was
0: it was (laughs) Doctor something or other, but he said it so quick, and the the character is so irrelevant that I don't remember (laughs) what his name was.
1: I'm going to lunch. Steals that scene anyway, so it doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) Yes, talking about things in the movie that are like totally irrational. I love this is my when, favorite part. Yeah, when they're going through the Thompson's like packing list. First off, before we even get to their packing list, let's talk about when Russ Thompson starts to yell at Wayne Zielinski. <laughs> Zielinski, it's a Saturday. And he's like, we got a four hour drive. I want my rest, but it's kind of like the middle of the morning. We never actually know what time it is per se, because we, we see one clock that says it's five minutes to six in the morning, but I have a, I have a problem believing that believing that Amy's on the phone with a friend at five fifty-five in the morning. Uh, I
1: think Wayne's conference is at ten because, because the Felix clock. the Cat clock says nine thirty. Right, and he's like running late at that point. Right, so I'll go with nine thirty for argument's sake. So let's say that
0: when Wayne is working on this machine, it's somewhere between say eight thirty and nine o'clock in the morning because we know he's working on it right before breakfast is burned. Sure. Um, <laughs>
1: And he'll be down in five minutes.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Because dad was typing with his gloves on again. Um, you're getting oh, ready to go. This is
1: also normal. Yeah.
0: You're getting ready to go on this massive fishing trip. You're packing the camper. Like, this is like an all-day excursion. How are you still in bed as an adult at nine in the morning? I work 14 hours a day, sometimes until four or five o'clock in the morning. That is the nature of my job. I can't sleep past 8.30. And that's on like four hours of sleep. I can't sleep past 8.30.
1: Not only that, but like my family has gone camping. You know, we've mentioned it before on the show. We live on Long Island. My family, every year without fail, has gone upstate to the Catskills camping. And we go usually Saturday, Sunday, and we take the extra day Monday. But we want to get the most out of the weekend. So like when you say you're going on a trip and you have that much of a drive, like... We're talking wheels up 7 o'clock in the morning so that you can get there and have most of the day. Not to mention, the car is packed the night before. For somebody as anal retentive as Big Russ Thompson seems, I don't understand how he's still loading things into the camper that late in the morning. Especially because he's rushing to
0: get out of the house, except he's not. Yes. So it's just so strange.
1: Yeah, it's let's get the show on the road and then he can take a break to teach Russell how to lift weights right. for the, the football
0: team. And those weights could not have been more than like 50 pounds, but he makes he looks like he's like deadlifting 400. It's ridiculous. Um, but what I love about this is we talk about, we, we, we brought it up, we, we were starting to talk about it, the ridiculous things that they have in the house, and and the ridiculous things that Wayne Zielinski's carrying around in a, in a shopping bag, let's talk about all of the things that nobody's ever brought on
1: a camping trip, ever. Camping slash fishing. Right. They're loading up a camper
0: to go to a lake to fish. Right. They're going fishing, but they brought all the golf clubs. Okay, I don't buy it, but that's the least of the problems.
1: You're going fishing, and you bring microwave meals. Presumably, you're fishing, you're going to cook up what you catch.
0: That doesn't bother me though because you know you're going to have some sort of microwave oven in a camper. And I actually, I miss Magic, and I'm so happy that I got to see it again because I miss those crinkle fries in the little red and black box with the yellow writing. I used (laughs) to love those as a kid.
1: That, yeah, I mean... That, that kind of gets a pass, because not everybody's going to eat fish anyway. And, like, it's a camping trip, you're eating garbage, whatever. My issue is, who brings a food processor camping? And a walk. Did you catch the walk? I
0: didn't catch the walk.
1: There's a walk.
0: Okay. <laughs> I want to go camping with the Russells. Or with the Thompsons. Yeah. I want my- the Russells? <laughs> yeah. I want- Well, have you noticed, though? Sometimes he would call to Ron, but he'd call him Russell?
1: or he would slur yeah, like, like when what
0: what what's happening here when
1: he officially realizes they're missing he's like Wada! and i was like which one are you calling to there were a
0: lot of instances where you couldn't understand like uh, tw- 20 pounds of quarterback blitzing Yeah. Muscle muscle. <laughs> 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 <Like, laughs> this uh, it happens quite a few times and i think we'll, we'll circle back around to the character and the actor of course that might have been an artistic choice um and again i think a very much a character of his time but there are times where he's just completely
1: inaudible i'm dying to know where they found him
0: really um i talked before about how you kind of touched on all of the quote-unquote social classes that you were accustomed to in these team films, uh, teen films, I should say. What I like is that you have this Russell Thompson who's supposedly an athlete. His father was an athlete. He wants to make a man out of him. But they say he got cut from the football team and then he, his mother admits that he quit the football team. And, you know, Big Russ is... Fishing is not your thing. Weights are not your thing. What is your thing? And he's just like, I don't know. And it's like, it's it's a little throwaway line that should mean absolutely nothing, but I think it means more than people give it credit for because everybody at some point in time has been that teenager that doesn't really know what they want and they're confused. And I thought that for a little line that should have meant nothing, I think it went a long way, for me at least.
1: Yeah, honestly, the whole setup from the beginning of the film to the kids actually shrinking is well done. I mean, aside from, like we said, some sloppy dialogue in the writing and the delivery and a couple of mismanaged props, we'll call them, uh... They do a really good job setting up everyone's relationship to each other, except maybe with what's going on in the Zelensky's marriage. Everything between parent and child, that comes out really clear.
0: Yeah, I would say so. Um, Speaking of things that wouldn't have made sense, they said Ron was 12, and you can assume that Russell is like 16 or 17 years old. Mm -hmm. They don't look like the types of kids that would be hula hooping but they were bringing a hula hoop on the camping (laughs) trip that was another thing i forgot they had a hula hoop
1: for may maybe i
0: kind of just feel like they took whatever was in the basement and moved it into the camper
1: but 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 they had to but i can't imagine that two boys were hula hooping as children i
0: can't imagine a middle-aged woman was hula hooping either. (laughs) again i want to go camping with the thompsons (laughs) The water skis, other than the fishing equipment and some of the kitchen appliances and some of the microwave food, was like the only things that they put in that RV that actually made sense. To me, at least. But I digress. (laughs) Um,
1: I, I think that's one of those things where, you know, we were talking about where kids today might not be as familiar with the movie. And I think a kid seeing all of that it wouldn't make sense whatsoever but to me i think it's part of the kitsch
0: right and And again it might have been a satirical choice
1: i i think so because you know a lot of the dynamic too it's not just between parent and child and within the marriages it's also between the neighbors and one of uh the thompson's biggest beef is that you know and you, you can see it like their their lawn is perfectly manicured they have these really nice flower beds which you don't really notice because they've got you know easy bake ovens and whatever else they're packing yeah. all over the yard yeah but um you know that's juxtaposed against the Selinsky's next door where they've got lawn furniture all over the place nick's dropping his toys all over and one of the the points of contention and russ thompson even says it to wayne is that your lawn's beginning to look like the amazon so i think that kind of lends itself to where wayne is very engrossed in his work and he's kind of all over the place uh you know russ is more of a, everything is neat and orderly and and maybe it lends to being over prepared for this trip maybe that might be a reach but everything seems to be very orderly with him
0: Yeah, I kind of felt like it was a reach to say that their yard had looked like the Amazon because other than the grass being high along the fence line, and unless you're using a weed whacker, whose isn't, it's not like the grass was that overgrown. They mentioned it a couple of times, but it's really not that
1: high. Well, I think that that's kind of set up for the kids having to trek their way through it. Right, of course, and then the whole lawnmower thing as the movie
0: goes on. Sure. Um, which was one of the few things that they mentioned and then circled back around to. Um, can I just mention, unless you have anything else to say prior to this happening, I want to talk about the scene when the ball goes through the window. Unless you have anything else, because I don't want to jump around too much.
1: No, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I got all my script issues out. So you got from here on out, it's fun.
0: Okay. So you have Ron, okay? And Ron asks his father to play baseball with him. And Russ While he's senior, packing
1: up the camper for their four-hour drive and he's already kind of late in the morning.
0: Right. And he says, no, well, I've got to finish packing the camper. It's, that's not exactly the line, but that's, that's the gist of it. Before I get to the actual instance where the ball goes through the window and activates the shrinking machine, I do want to point out that Russ has one son... I feel like he inadvertently plays favorites, and I think that's part of why Ron is such a smart aleck and why he gets into mischief like booby-trapping the backyard. Mm-hmm. You have Russell Jr., who he's trying to get him bulked up for the football team. The kid doesn't want to go camping. He doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't want this. And then you have the younger brother, Ron, who wants to do literally all of the things his dad wants to do with russ jr and i don't want to say it's it's a cry for attention but they they never really play up on the oh you you complain all the time i've been trying to do these things with dad and 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 he ignores me like i was sort of disappointed that that never sort of came back around because i feel like there's a missed opportunity there um And it's just, it's glaring to me now, and you don't notice it so much until you get older, until you've seen this movie, watching it through the eyes of an adult, that everything that he wants to do with Russell Jr., he could just as easily be doing with
1: Ron, but he continues to ignore Ron. That's a really good point. Um, And especially because, you know, you said they never circle back to it. It's established so early on when he booby traps the backyard, you know... Big Russ Thompson is complaining that he was woken up by Wayne's machine. Meanwhile, Ron's been out in the backyard setting this up all morning. He might have even camped out there. But, you know, you're saying that Ron is kind of like the, the... the That he's acting out a little bit. And he is because he's very, very sarcastic. But he's actually the outdoorsy one because they do kind of follow up on that. Like where Nick is the brainiac and he kind of knows exactly what their situation is once they've shrunk. Ron is kind of the one leading them through that because he knows what to expect. Like, he's the one who figures out the fire later on. And, yeah, you're right, is that he's down to do all of this stuff and his dad doesn't even care. It's not like he's asking a hula hoop. Right.
0: When it comes time for him to actually hit the baseball through the window, though, I mean, he's standing like 15 feet from the property line. He's almost up against the fence trying to crush this ball. Clearly, the kid plays baseball enough where he knows what his capabilities are. Why are you standing that close to the fence knowing you're going to hit the ball into their yard?
1: Especially when the houses are already close together to begin with. And that—that right. that is a throwaway line. They do, well, not a throwaway line. They do acknowledge it.
0: Right. He's like, well, it wouldn't have gone through the wind. It wouldn't have gone through the window if your house wasn't so close. Well, yeah, you're supposedly in Fresno, California. The houses are kind of built in those little suburb areas where they're kind of right on top of each other. But they what have it looks this- like
1: Queens, how close they are. Right.
0: But they have this entire yard. That he, could have hit, uh, that he could have hit this ball from. It would have been better if he would have been on the other side of the yard and just caught too much of it and sort of surprised
1: himself. I disagree. The walk and the microwave are taking up a lot of space in that yard right now.
0: Fair enough. But you're just asking for disaster. And I get it. This is how the whole movie gets yeah, set you up. You don't but, have
1: a movie without this.
0: But he could. they set him up further back than that close. Like nobody would have stood that close to the fence and hit a baseball. You know it's going in their yard. There's no way around it. But anyway, I digress. Um it gets activated, they get shrunk. Okay, fine. Wayne Zelensky Oh,
1: I do wanna I do wanna make mention of this. Okay. Um I think it was a really smart choice. You know, Nick and Ron get shrunk first, but we don't see the reactions until Amy and Russ are shrunk. Yeah. I think it was really smart to hold off on that and not see nick and ron shrink because nick understands fully what's happening to them so you're not going to get that oh my god reaction out of him
0: it's like when you don't see jaws right away you build up to it i feel like it would have cheapened the reaction when you see russell jr and amy get shrunk
1: right because ron is just going to be like Oh my God, your stupid dad's machine. And then get in an argument with Nick and Nick is going to rationalize everything. Right. Meanwhile, you have the two of them, but it's also funny too how all of the kids are more concerned with how this affects their weekend than their potential to be stuck this way permanently. If he can't fix it.
0: Right. Um, but when Wayne comes home, he goes upstairs, he's dejected. He can't find the kids. And he goes to sit down on his couch, his thinking couch. Yes. First off, you walked into that room. You didn't see it. I mean, I guess your head is racing because of the day that you just had. Okay, fine. I'll buy that notion. I just created that notion in my mind, but I'll buy into it. (laughs) He goes to sit down. Where's my couch? He sees there's a window broken, all of his furniture's gone.
1: Clearly did not go through the window.
0: Didn't go through the window, and I don't think anybody broke into your house to to steal the dog-eaten piece of garbage couch out of your attic. Right. How he didn't recognize the fact that it was gone or why he didn't, like, wonder why it was gone or try to rationalize it right away, for a man of science who does nothing but think all of the time, I thought that was... Out of character for him, and I thought that was very much disconnected from the rest of the film. And I thought it disconnected from that character in general.
1: I agree. It's such a great cut, though, to when he falls and the kids feel the impact of it.
0: Yeah. The same way I feel that... I understand that he's frustrated, and again, you I don't want to say you don't have a movie without it. The movie's dramatic enough. His reaction to not getting his grant when you didn't show up with a prototype and you have no proof that it actually works because up to this point, the machine doesn't actually work. That he knows. Right. The reaction of taking five years worth of work and smashing it to bits because you're angry, to me, again, not characteristic of of Wayne Zelinsky I understand that this is frustration boiling over between... The issues with his marriage and then getting laughed at in front of his colleagues. All right, I get that, but I just feel like this is a complete over-exaggeration.
1: I agree. It's The like, movie's
0: dramatic enough. The kids are shrunk. You can't find them. They're missing. Right. And, and this machine, you don't know that it works. I don't know that you needed the extra element of smashing the machine.
1: Yeah, his reaction is like if you drop 10 bucks and you lose it, What are you going to do? Go to the bank and empty out your savings account and say, I'm going to start over? No. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah, it it was just odd. And for those who will say, well, he had to sweep up the floor. He could have swept up the broken glass. Yeah, exactly. And the kids could, could have been in the same exact scenario. Exactly. Because him having to rebuild the machine you only see it happen a couple of times where he needs to cannibalize some of the other appliances in the house. It's not like, "I have to figure this out. Uh, I I did this 2 years ago. I don't know how I did this." You know, like it it kind of was like, mm, "All right, I'll put it back together. Let me take this, this, and this." Like it just it to me it didn't add to the story him having to rebuild the machine.
1: Right. And like that's kind of where Diane starts coming around towards him again is because she realizes that he pulled an all-nighter to put this back together and that's when she like you know she's kind of like oh look what he's doing for the kids i honestly would have rather you know instead of the charades bit with the baseball at the end i would have liked to see him have to recruit the thompson's to help him rebuild it you know maybe take your microwave apart because you no longer need it for your camping trip and use that to rebuild the machine
0: you just want everything out of that camper that's what this is about. You have a vendetta against the camper.
1: I, maybe I do. I don't know. I just think it's absurd what you're putting in there for a weekend trip when you're not even leaving early in the morning. You've got a day <laughs> and a half.
0: I, yeah, it, well, we've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Speaking of which, the outfits in, the, in this movie oh, are very 80s.
1: But I, it. I like it. Fantastic. I like it. And the hair. It.
0: Yes, Amy's hair.
1: And Russ's, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. The feathering. My God. Yeah,
0: Russ looks like he was just recently thrown out of the Cobra Kai.
1: <laughs> and even even Ron's, too. He's got the hat on the entire time, but it's still like he's got like the feathery bangs happening, too. Um, no, it's, it's all kinds of 80s fantastic. They get
0: outside. Nick has a calculator on him because, of course, and he figures out that they are about three and a half miles away. And they're like, that's really far. Yes, in the grand scheme of things, when you have taken a 65-foot backyard and you've been shrunk to the size where 65 feet became just about three and a half miles, yes, in in perspective, that's very far. But three and a half miles is not an overnight walk.
1: Right. No, they could have done that. But I like the way that they set that up. I know you find it ridiculous that he has a calculator and maybe so, but... I like that they used the Brainiac character to explain exactly what's happening and put it in perspective how small they are and how far they have to travel. It, it, it's better than, you know, the garbage phone call at the beginning to set up the plot points.
0: Very true. Very true. To this day, though, I have to say, the B scene, it still bothers me and it's i'm not above admitting at the age of almost 33 i'm still afraid of it
1: every obstacle that is put in their way in that backyard is very very clever and like you could tell they really had some fun putting this movie together and thinking about what is going to affect you at that height um yeah as horrible as the bcgi is i mean the the b itself is is practical. It's either an animatronic or whatever. But when they put it against I think they used a blue screen to show it flying through the backyard, it, it looks really rudimentary. Like you can tell this was super early with that technology. Um yeah, super but early I thought it was just a clever you know, a clever way to move the story forward.
0: Primitive but also f- Fairly low budget. I think they shot this movie for about $17 million, which for the late 80s, it's not that it was chump change, but it certainly pales in comparison to movies nowadays, of course. But I'll be honest with you. I think, by and large, I know we're going to talk about the sets a lot in a few minutes, so I'm not going to talk about that right now. But I think by and large, the special effects are still pretty good because they rely on CGI a little bit, Mm. but so much of what they did was practical effect that I think in that aspect, the film does hold up. You know, if this film was remade today, they would do a complete green screen soundstage, and nothing that you'd see in it would be real. Look
1: at what Burton did when Alice was three inches tall.
0: That was exactly what I was going to say. Not just when she's three inches tall, the entire well, movie. Well, the entire thing, yeah.
1: Go back and you listen watch, to it. If you we want, don't have to get into the whole thing now.
0: If you were dumb enough like we were to buy those movies on Blu-ray, first off, I'm sorry we feel your pain. But go watch the behind-the-scenes in the special features. Everything's green. Everything. Everything is green screened. There were no practical sets.
1: Even the furniture. Mm. Even the furniture was green screened. Yeah, no, that was ridiculous. But this, you know, I mean, un- unless you have anything to say about the script, I think this is a good time to move on to the sets. I do have
0: a couple of things that I want to mention about the script before we move on. Okay. Um, it's only two or three things. First off ron keeps talking about we're gonna go camping we're gonna go camping we're gonna go camping we're gonna go camping and then finally in like the last quarter of the movie it finally dawns on him that they're not going to take this trip how and why did it take that long to figure out you're not gonna go on this camping trip man
1: like Uh, how and why bees ants scorpions to name a few things. Yeah, that's not even mentioning the fact
0: that you've been shrunk to a quarter of an inch tall. But
1: that—that that was the point that I was trying to make before, and this is where it feels like a teen movie: is they are so concerned with how it affects their weekend and not the big picture. Amy going to the mall. Exactly. That's her big. That's her big problem. Right.
0: Um, the Thompsons, as the film moves on and they finally get brought up to speed with with what is happening, they don't believe the Zelenskys. They do believe them, but then they don't, but then they do and they just storm out. Without offering any sort of, like, help, without offering, I don't want to say without any concern. Obviously, they're very concerned, but they don't don't offer to do anything to move this process along of finding their children. They're just like, you figure it out, and then they left.
1: He leaves the porch light on. That's... Russ's way of admitting that he well he doesn't want to admit that he believes it but he does and he doesn't want them to be in the dark and circling back to Ron I think I don't think it's that it doesn't dawn on him because Amy's concern is I gotta get home I gotta get to the mall Ron's concern is let's go back so we can get on the go on the trip like he recognizes that but I think he's trying so desperately to make it back his we're not going on this fishing trip is more like admitting defeat than actually realizing it he knows the whole time he's just trying to, to make it back
0: maybe um the thing that stands out the most to me and probably makes the film feel the most dated is that on multiple occasions you see smoking in a disney film and you yes. would not see that nowadays russ senior is a smoker We get a scene where he flicks a cigarette butt. Again, why would you flick a cigarette butt into your neighbor's yard? That doesn't make any sense. But he does it. And the kids use the smoldering ash from the cigarette to make torches Mm -hmm. and to keep themselves warm. Yeah, it's not just the
1: smoking. It's like a huge plot point.
0: Right. He smokes when he gets stressed. He says that he quit, but he didn't. It's a plot point. They use it very clever in the film. And whether people want to admit it or not, or whether people want to agree with it or not, people smoke in real life. Billions of dollars a year. Yeah, I understand Disney doesn't want to encourage smoking, but I feel like even in films that are geared towards adults, you don't even see people smoking anymore. Right. I get it in a Disney film, but I think in cinema at large, sometimes filmmakers I don't know that they're afraid to do it but I feel like there's a stigma around showing people smoking I get it you don't want to influence kids but you're supposed to be doing an adaptation of for the most part what is supposed to be real life right and I I remember in the 80s everybody smoked in movies the Ghostbusters smoked in movies you got smoking in this one smoking and I mean it was it was so prevalent they don't show it anymore and that's the thing that makes this film feel the most dated for me not the hair no as dumb as that sounds it's not even the hair
1: No, it's a good point it's true it's true because you really don't see it anymore
0: and I think especially coming from the fact that it's in a Disney film sort of stands out as well but those were really, those were the those were the points that I really wanted to hit on in terms of the script. Before we move on to sets and cast,
1: yeah. I mean, I feel like we had a lot of issues with the script, and you know, Lord knows there is a lot that doesn't work. But um, to circle back to what you said before, the the sets are fantastic. There I'm are some so of the... glad that they went practical and not cgi but i mean yeah that's a little bit of its time because cgi really wasn't you know it it certainly wasn't being used the way that it is today it was still really primitive at the time but you know i i'm i'm glad that they did like an entire set of the backyard and they didn't just try to scale the kids down and put them next to a big object. Like they actually, you know, there's a lot of grass, there's a lot of flowers, there's the mushroom, like there's everything to scale them down. It's not just put them next to a giant Lego.
0: The fact that everything is to scale relative to the kids is brilliant. I think, you know, and going back almost as far as I can remember I think that these are some of the most impressive sets I've ever seen and I think that they still hold up
1: and I think that's what was so impressive about being able to go into this world yourself in the parks because yes. I remember being blown away by this film and you know To be able to actually go and like you, you thought that it was the real set from the movie, and you know, you got to be in it.
0: Yeah, it was always a lot of fun going in there, even as an adult, just going in there and looking around
1: for the nostalgia.
0: But I remember the last time that we saw it, and we knew they were getting rid of it, we knew it was going to be taken away. There were kids in there. But I remember kids going, I don't even know what this is from, and then moving on. Yeah. And it was kind of sad, and I remember thinking to myself, first off, parents, shame on you. Secondly, yes. Secondly, um, if this really is how these kids feel, then it's best to take this away, move on, do your expansions with Toy Story and with Galaxy's Edge, and... Call it a day.
1: But what is Toy Story? It's the same concept, is that you're shrunken down in Andy's backyard.
0: It's the same premise, but kids understand because they're still making Toy Story movies. I also think that the animated classics seem to hold much more weight than the live-action films.
1: Um. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess over a period of time, but think about also... We're forgetting another big one when the, you know, you could actually go to the backyard set. We'll call it an MGM. They also in Epcot had Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. I mean, this movie was everywhere. Right. This was a huge film at the time.
0: It was a big deal.
1: So you're right. Shame on you, parents. Show this <laughs> film to your kids.
0: But they squeezed the juice out of that until there was yeah, nothing left. Yeah, Really, they did. Um, so, yeah, sets, fantastic. Let's talk about the cast, unless you have something else you want to uh, add.
1: Okay, there's one set that's not fantastic okay. and um it's you know what? It's not really the movie's fault. It's how far technology has come in the opening shot. I mean, it's obvious that this is done on a sound stage that this is not in the middle of a neighborhood. Right. But in the opening shot, it is so glaringly obvious because you see a wall from one of the sound stages. In the background of the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, they just painted
1: it. They did. It's painted to look like the sky. I don't know why you wouldn't put up a canvas and paint the sky on it. However, back in the 80s, when this was on VHS, it was standard def and you d- you couldn't tell because I never noticed that before. Right. But now that we're watching it on an HDTV those are the things that kinda come to light.
0: Right. Like at one point towards the end of the movie where Nick is getting sucked up by the lawnmower, you see the cables pulling on him. I never noticed yeah. those before. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think you certainly that's one of those scenarios where seeing something in high def and having it on Blu-ray or DVD, it it hurts it more than it helps
1: it. Exactly. But the the big issue
0: with painting the side of the sound stage was there was a lot of detail on the side of that building. It's not like it was a flat side of the building. So it had shadows all over it.
1: Yeah, there was like a piece of the wall that like kind of comes out like the the it almost comes out like a chimney comes off the side of your yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. And it's that noticeable.
0: I don't know if it was like ventilation from like an HVAC system or what it was, but mm. it it stands out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Um but the cast So Rick Moranis was a big star when this movie came out. He took a break from acting for a while after his wife passed away. She was very young. um, And he took time off to raise his kids.
1: I think that's one of the most admirable things I've ever heard of. Yeah. Because he was on fire in his career at this point.
0: Right. And he just walked away from it. Yeah. But he was not the... Actor that they had in mind for this role originally. Right. In fact, he was the third person that they had pitched this to. The first was Chevy Chase, and oh, they they wanted him because he had done very well with National Lampoon's Vacation. He would have been interesting. I cannot imagine. I wouldn't with have Chevy bought Chase. it. The second actor. Which I actually think... Now, I think Rick Moranis was perfect. Yeah. So I'm not saying that I would have rather seen this actor in the role, but someone who I think could have pulled off the role almost as well was John Candy. And that's who they went to after Chevy Chase turned them down. And it was John Candy that said, This isn't for me, but you should really go talk to Rick Moranis.
1: Yeah, because I think at the same time he had just gotten Ghostbusters. I don't even think it was in the can yet. It, so it's it not f- like they had it as a reference. This was a
0: few years after the first Ghostbusters, but they were working on the second one.
1: Oh, I thought it was at the same time.
0: No, the, the first Ghostbusters movie came out in
1: 84.
0: Ghostbusters 2 came out in 89 or 90, and I think this came out in 88 or 89. But, I think but you're was talking about when it was time.
1: released, when they filmed it, I I read that he was offered this before Ghostbusters was out.
0: They might have been developing this movie for a saying, long yeah, time. Yeah. But anyway, with all that being said, he's great. I love that he's he's manic, but he's also he's very calculated. He he's very I mean obviously he's very smart. He's a scientist, he's an inventor, but he carries himself a certain way. That when he delivers the lines and he explains the science of it, Mm. it comes off legitimately as a scientist who's kind of socially awkward and not one that's talking down to you.
1: Right. No, he doesn't. He walks the fine line almost with a mad scientist quality because, you know, at the end of the day, he's a father who's got to save his kids. He knows he can't step on the grass, so he rigs this whole contraption and he does not care who sees him. But it's smart.
0: Yeah, and do you know he did his own stunts in this movie?
1: I believe that. He was on the stilts. I would have done that. I would have gone in the the hammock thing.
0: He did it all on his own. Um, And I like the stark contrast between him and Russ Sr., who was played by Matt Frewer, who was later used as the voice of Panic in Hercules. Yes.
1: Yep. He's a he's a character actor, because if you look at his IMDb, almost every role that he has, it's been like a one off thing. But I'm surprised that he didn't do more because he's so quirky to me. I mean, to me, the the fathers are the most interesting characters in this whole movie. Yeah. But I think a lot of that has to do with the actors that portray them. But yeah, Russ Thompson, he's he's a really interesting character, actually. First of all, he's a complete chauvinist. Um, you know, with regard to and and he's got an ego. He names Russ after himself, which I'm not saying that parents who name their children after themselves are all egotistical, but I think in his case it was done that way. Yes, especially because of the pressure that he puts on Russ to be like him. Um, so you know, it comes out in the relationship with his kids, but. Uh, Even more so in his relationship to his wife, the way he talks to her like when they're in the Zelenskys' attic and he's like, let me handle this. But even just again, I'm going to go back to packing up that camper. Did you notice how he hands her like bags and bags of stuff and then he picks up a lantern and follows her to the camper? Yes. You could have at least taken the walk, dude.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I love how they contrast off each other, though. I, I yeah. think that you have two characters who are so different. And you have Wayne who's trying his best to rationalize this. And then you have an irrational character acting irrational on the other side. Yes. And I do, I, I thought that they played off each other very well. The moms in the films. They're just moms. Moms. And it's not meant to sound like I'm talking down on them, but they really don't offer much else. And we talked about Wayne's wife. We talked about their situation and their drama, but not so dramatic. Um, And the kids we talked about, too, they, they just... It's not that they played it so great, but it's not that they played it badly. I just, they didn't become anything. You have very little frame of reference for them, so you can't sit there and go, oh, that was so different from when they did this other movie. You don't know whether they were acting like themselves or if they were acting like these characters. You just don't really have a frame of reference with them.
1: Right. I mean, they did
0: a good job. They didn't do bad but they just acted like teenagers.
1: Right. And in some of the delivery where it is a little bit over the top, you wonder if that's their inexperience or if it's bad direction. You know, like the, one of the things that comes to mind is like when they're, when they're trying to get, uh, when they're trying to, uh, tame auntie so that they can ride him back to the house. And Ron's like, it's like bench press But like the way that he delivers the line is just so over the top. You can barely even understand what he says. First of all, but once you know, once I figured out what he was saying, it's just too much. Like, dial it back.
0: Yeah. Um. So I guess unless you have anything else you'd like to add, kind of move on to our conclusions here.
1: Uh, One thing we didn't talk about, and I cannot cannot let this go well actually two things uh, when the foresters show up um, there is another character or another actor who made it into a later animation and the Gloria Forrester I almost forgot her name she has she serves no purpose to this film other than that she sees Rick Moranis flying around the yard um, but I came to find out that she is actually the feather duster in Beauty and the Beast. Interesting. Yeah. And she, it, you know, it's funny. Once I, I read that, I was like, oh, it kind of makes it because she does have such a, a unique voice. And it does, even though she's just playing like this bimbo character in this movie, you know, you can you can hear she's got a very interesting voice. Um, but also in that scene. Ding, 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 ding.
0: That weird what? handshake thing that with the fishing rod what I, I don't know
1: I, I mean again though it for whatever reason it somehow works because Russ Thompson is so quirky, but it's it's just one of those things where it's like I, I feel like this movie it, it did things so right and then so wrong in equal measure. and like for the way that they set certain things up in the plot, you have a moment like that and it's just like, I can't take this seriously. Yeah.
0: I think in conclusion for me, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. I watched this movie. I wore the VHS out. That's how many times I watched this. Um, I, I had this taped off of the television
1: um, Me too. But did you get the Roger Rabbit short with it too? I did
0: not get the Roger. T- I think well, it was Tummy Trouble. Have,
1: yes, it was. But you didn't get the Roger Rabbit short?
0: I taped this off of the Wonderful World of Disney when it used to air on ABCs uh, over the weekend. Okay. Which, in a way, I'd love to find that VHS tape for the commercials. Just to see those commercials from like 1992.
1: I think I still have mine, but I'm honestly afraid to put it into a VCR. I, think I don't it would think it would shred make it. it. No, yeah. um, if I could find a VCR,
0: yeah, one that works at least. I have one. I just don't know if it works, and I'm too afraid to try it. Um, but I think having watched this movie now so many years later, um, a couple of movies come to mind: Space Camp, War Games, Back to the Future. Put them up against Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And what do you have? All of these movies came out around the same time, War Games being the oldest of the the four. And this one actually, the one probably being the newest of those four. But what do they have in common? Other than the time period. You have kids, teenagers specifically, that through the use of technology and science, Mm. find themselves in extraordinary situations filled with peril in which they need to find a way out.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Again, a little different in war games, but all sort of in the same vein. I think this movie is a complete product of its time. I think that unfortunately... A lot of it doesn't hold up nowadays. I, I still think it's a fun movie. I still love this movie. I have a lot of fun watching this movie. But for all of the reasons we mentioned before, which is a shame because the special effects and the sets are so good, I do think that this movie falls victim to its age. And I think that that's why a lot of kids now either do don't know it or can't relate to it.
1: I would agree with you. Um, I think, you know, definitely still fun. I definitely still enjoy watching it, but not to the fullest, the way that I did when I was a kid, because the, there are where the script is bad. It's just so sloppy. Um, I think that needed to be a lot tighter Um you know, that's something that with everything that I've learned having gone to film school and, you know, throughout my career so far, I can't just let things like that go. It, it would be pissing all over everything that I know uh, to just say, oh, it's a product of its time. And, you know, sloppy screenwriting and is sloppy screenwriting. There's no two ways about it. Uh, so I think those pitfalls do drag it down for me a little bit. Um, and it's, it's like I said before, where things were good, they were really good. And where things were bad, they were really bad. So it kind of, it it doesn't necessarily level out. It was dragged down by the bad points because they're just that bad. Um, I will say this because we didn't hit on this at all. I think the, the score is perfection. I, I think it just ties to the movie so well, and I, I the Roger Rabbit thing kind of reminded me of that because I remember Tummy Trouble leading right into this, and I remember like it it just blended all so well.
0: Yeah, kind of quirky, tongue in cheek, and whimsical.
1: Um, but yeah, as as far as does it hold up for me? Um, I think it did to a point because of its longevity in the parks and its popularity in the parks because, you know, you had the playground and you had Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. And even now, um, in Journey into the Imagination, you still have Wayne Selinsky on the wall as one of the scientists. And I think that's a really cool nod to it. Um, So, you know, for as sloppy as it is, I kind of hate that it has fallen by the wayside and it doesn't hold up because kids now aren't as familiar with it and um it's really rare that i i say this but i would actually like to see some sort of remake or maybe even a sequel um to kind of right the wrongs like i'm all for if rick Moranis' kids are grown and he's acting again do honey i shrunk the grandkids Why not? It's funny that you say that because he actually said
0: tongue-in-cheek. I'm surprised they haven't had me do that yet.
1: but, But that's what I'm saying. Where this movie is successful, it's like you said, put the kids in peril and make them figure their way out of it. I would love to see a film now where take away the cell phones, drop the kids in a situation and make them figure it out. That's a movie that I want to see. And I think that, you know, kind of recycling this story and these characters would be interesting now.
0: I disagree that the film needs a sequel where he shrinks his grandchildren. I will agree with you, and this is uncharacteristic of me, where I think this film is due for a remake. And I think it needs one. I think it needs one. And this has Jack Black written all over it by the way. Ooh, I like that. It's just the first one that comes to mind, but I did a little research. We have one coming. Are you kidding? It's going to the streaming service. Get out. It's not going to be a it's not going to be a launch title, but right now they have in development a remake of Honey I Shrunk the Kids for Disney Plus. Huh. Drop the mic. You're welcome.
1: Oh, I'm kind of stoked about that. That's awesome.
0: They don't have a cast. They don't have a release date, but we know it's going to come.
1: I just hope that it's not, and I think this would be too close to the Jumanji sequel remake, I just hope they don't get like shrunk into a video game, because... They're playing into technology now. I don't think so. They, now That's what I'm saying. I want the phones movie. taken away. I want them to have to figure this out on their own. You, you're making a completely
0: different movie Yeah. if you do that. At least with Jumanji, it was still a game. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that um, that you're going to see that happen. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say about it. Do you still love this movie? Have you even ever seen this movie do you think it could be a remake? Who would be your Wayne Zelinski? You can let us know on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at monoreal Radio. News this week: we talked about it before. 30th anniversary of Disney's Hollywood Studios, MGM. Um, a new logo came out this week, and for for whatever reason, it's it's controversial. I guess because people just hold so many things about Disney so near and dear to them because Disney as a company, Disney as a destination is something that so many people have been grown up in that you you know grow they've grown up with and they've been raised on that you you do you become very protective of it. But the fact that the internet was set ablaze with a logo that literally said Disney's Hollywood Studio and had three or four characters on it blows me away. People lost their minds over this. Well, here's the thing. Now, first off, can I I just say, before you even jump in on that... I'm just saying this right now, and maybe this won't age well in a few years if you're, if you're catching up on the show. They're never going to change the name. They have talked about changing the name of that park for years. And for the last three or four years, it's the name change is coming at D23. The name change is coming at the shareholders meeting. It never happens. I think, that's, I think we, we can get rid of that. I think it's just Disney's Hollywood Studios. The fact that they're celebrating a 30th anniversary and came out with a new logo tells you what you need to know. I don't think it's changing.
1: Do you like the logo, though? It doesn't What do you think me? of it? You're it's, talking about how everybody's reacting to it. What do you think of it? It's very plain.
0: But I don't hate that sleek, old Hollywood font. I don't mind that you've inserted characters in there that are your very successful IPs. I don't love that they put the Ren and Stimpy looking Mickey on there. Yeah. But if that's my only concern, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hardly even a logo. It just says Disney's Hollywood Studios. Of all of the problems I have in my life and of all the things I have to worry about, the sign that says Disney's Hollywood Studios, I'll be honest with you, falls to the very bottom of my list. I'm sort of indifferent.
1: It's clean. It's sort of just there. I don't really care. In the grand scheme, is this a big issue? No, but I I have some, I have some thoughts. Um, with regard to what you said about people being up in arms over it, I think, you know, and this is me saying this, somebody who is very resistant to change. I think we all have to accept that regardless of what we hold near and dear to Disney, and a lot of that is because of, you know, our first trip there and how Disney is ingrained in our childhood. It's changing. It's ever changing. And Walt said it himself. It's never going to be finished. Correct. So whatever you're holding on to, I think you have to be a little bit more open and realize that like, they really have yet to disappoint us. Anything that they've done really. And this is saying, this is coming from someone who cannot Stan the Avatar movies and was blown away by Pandora. They really haven't done anything so horrible. And what what are you going to do? You're going to not go to the park over something? No. 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 Prove it- me wrong. So here's my issue with the new logo. Is that we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of the park, right? A park that now has a new new logo since it has had a new name change This park is 30, and it's had more identity crises than most actual 30-year-olds that I know. So I think I take issue with that, that it's changing again. It's like, why bother? Um, I am of the school of it's always going to be MGM to me, but I also realize that that was a partnership of its time. Now, the way that Disney is buying up IPs left and right... I think you're right. I don't think Hollywood studios is ever going to change because it's got to encompass everything. My issue with this logo specifically is that you chose three out of four IPs. You have Mickey representing obviously Disney. Uh, Woody, for Woody for Pixar, Pixar. and then BB eight for star Wars. Um, did we forget about that little indie film called Endgame that came out a couple of weeks ago? How do you leave out Marvel? Because in that? they
0: don't have the licensing yet.
1: No, I know that. I I understand that, and I realize that they can't do that yet because of the Universal contract. But really, when has that ever stopped them? Because they use The Simpsons in a nego- as a negotiating chip, and. They got what they needed.
0: Well, they they own the Simpsons now. They can do whatever they want with the Simpsons. That's what I'm saying. So, well, they but they they're not putting the Simpsons in their park though. They're just putting them on their streaming service,
1: right? But the the point that I'm trying to make is that eventually you're gonna have to change it again because you left out Marvel. So a couple of years down the road, we're either gonna need a new logo or you're gonna have. I don't know. Maybe you can fit Captain America's shield somewhere, like in the D or whatever. But what I did realize, and I started coming around to it a little bit more, is that it's not just about the IPs, because Lord knows we don't need another advertisement. We know what the IPs are. We don't need that shoved, shoved down our throat. It's representing the three areas of the park. And that I was slightly more on board with. But I still think that you're going to have issues when it comes time to start incorporating Marvel. And I will say this. If you... Do not redo Rock and Roller Coaster as Thor Ragnarok and Roller Coaster. You're seriously missing out.
0: There's been talk that they would maybe re-theme it towards Guardians or even Iron Man because they do have an Iron Man coaster overseas. I think in either Japan or Shanghai. It wouldn't. You know what it. It wouldn't surprise me if they eventually add the Fifth Gate and just do a Marvel yeah, Park.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's what they're holding out for. They ha- they still have the space.
0: Yeah. That's the only thing I could think maybe is on the horizon for them. But that's 15, yeah. minimum 15 years. Probably more like 20 years down the line. Um, if they change the name of the park at all, the only thing I could think they change it to is maybe Disney's Hollywood Adventure. Because you have Disney's California Adventure on the West Coast. This is no longer a working studio. Unless they wanted to keep the theme, like Universal, of there's some old hollywood here and you're still kind of on a film set and mm. that's why you have andy's backyard and that's why you have galaxy's edge and that's why you're riding in the twilight zone and that's that's the only thing i could think that they might change it to but i just don't see them doing it anytime soon if ever
1: right well i will say this i'm once i got over the ip thing Representing the three areas of the park, I'm definitely on board with that, and I, I'm kind of glad that there is more direction with this park now. Because once they got rid of the backlot tour and Lights Motors action, you kind of—I mean, you definitely lost the ride, the movies thing, even though that was Universal's. You lost the behind-the-scenes. They took away the animation class. Um, right, the backlot tour. Yeah, so I'm—I'm I'm glad now that there's more of a focus. But I think we need to go beyond these three lands. I think you need to start bringing in more of that behind-the-scenes look back. And
0: I think that's why it was important for them to pull off the projects that they just pulled off. I mean, obviously, Galaxy's Edge is going to be a masterpiece. And it's Star Wars. And if you're a Star Wars fan, or even if you're not, you're going to be blown away by this. You're always... For anybody who's ever wanted to be a part of the Star Wars universe, you're going to get a chance to do that. And I think that it is it's imperative that they that they get it right. And I think they had to do this. I think they had to do it, especially after they purchased Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same thing for Toy Story Land. I think you needed something fully immersive because this park in totality was a fully immersive, fully functioning movie studio. You got away from that. Okay, fine. But they had very little going on in the parks that completely immersed you and, and got you feeling a certain way and got right. you looking at things in a different way. I think that's why it was so important. But we want to know what you have to think about it. Let us know on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Monoreal Radio, what do you think about the new logo? What do you think about the transition that Hollywood Studios is taking? And if you are looking to go to Hollywood Studios, I know somebody who can help you with this
1: yes get at me you can either dm me on any of our social media or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi that's z-o-l-e-z-z-i at magicalvacationplanner.com and i am more than happy to help you plan your trip
0: thank you so much for joining us this week we will be back next week where we're going to talk about big bunny for jackie i'm sean have a magical week everyone